This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. Come on in and grab a seat, and uh, if you can, take out your Bibles and turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. It is the fifth uh, book in the New Testament, so if you could turn there and uh, flip over to chapter 8 or use your device to do that. We are going to look at the life of a man named Philip once again. We were introduced to him two weeks ago. We're going to continue to look at his life today. Let me start with a question. Have you ever loved something or someone and you were relentless in your pursuit? So something about that thing or that person made you just relentless, like stalking kind of crazy relentless. (laughs) When I was in college, uh, Michelle and I had dated for a while. Very, the shortest story I can give on this. Uh, if you want, to, want the fuller story, I'm happy to give it to you. We had dated for a while, and, and then we had broken up for a while. And then we were kind of in this relationship moment of uh, just kind of, we, we kind of knew God was up to something there, and we liked each other a lot, and there was something there in the future for us. Uh, and she was just being, you know, faithful, patient, waiting, you know, kind of waiting on me. I'm being super spiritual, over spiritual, uh, just kind of praying about it and just kind of thinking about my future and keeping the options open, so to speak. And, uh, and we, as a college group, went out to dinner, a big group of us. And it was at, at this very season that she was sitting across from me. And uh, we're just a big group and everybody's having a good time. And a certain waiter, I can still remember how this guy looked, came over to her and started to show interest to this woman. Now, I'm not saying I beat the guy up, but I'm not saying I didn't want to. And something in the back of my brain flipped on. And at that moment, it was a full-on pursuit of the, of the girl. I, we were growing old together at that moment. It, she was mine. The ring was on the finger. She was already coming down the aisle towards me. And, uh, and I was relentless in my pursuit. Now, I share that because uh, not only is uh, weddings and that kind of thing on a lot of people's minds today and, and for appropriate reasons, but a wedding and a relentless pursuit of a bride is on God's heart, is on God's mind. God's love for and mission to nations and neighborhoods in pursuit of a people who will worship Him for all of eternity is relentless. It's indefatigable. It it never stops. It's constant. It's huge. It's large. Revelation 7 says it like this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages were standing before the throne and before the Lamb and they're clothed in white robes. It's like wedding attire with palm branches in their hands. They've got these party favors and this is this great scene of the celebration of the people of God who have found and been married to God forever, been united to God by faith alone. And God is relentless 
towards this day. He is pursuing a people for this day. Now, Jesus came embodying this love for a people. He came and he lived it out among us. And then he went to the cross and died for it. And then he rose from the grave for it. And then he said, I'm going to send my spirit upon you because I know that you don't have the strength and the wherewithal and the ingenuity and the creativity to go to the nations and neighborhoods of the world. So I'm going to put my spirit upon you. And in Acts 1.8, we're introduced to this book when he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you're going to be my witnesses right here in this geographic place where God's presence has always been in Jerusalem. But then in all over the world, going into Judea and going into Samaria and going into the uttermost parts of the earth, the very end of the earth. There's not going to be a a single place on this planet. There's not going to be a pocket of people that God is not going to pursue relentlessly in his grace and his love and in his mercy because he has a heart and a dream for a bride that loves him and comes down the aisle and is united to him forever. And so he sends his spirit to empower us to go. We were introduced a couple weeks ago, this individual named Philip, nothing fancy about this guy, but the Lord comes upon him and gives him boldness and gives him power along with all the Christians there. And he just goes and he starts spreading the gospel and people come to faith in Jesus and they're united to their eternal father through Christ for the very first time. And he sees that done in crowds. And today we're going to look at the next part of chapter 8 and see that he does this in more of a one-on-one personal way. And so we're going to see that the Spirit of Jesus empowers us in personal evangelism. So we're going to see three ways specifically that he does this and then make some real specific application in how this should change our lives. So I'm going to read the passage and then pray and then we'll get going here. So verse 26, chapter 8, reading to the end of the chapter. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over And join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep that was led to slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, 
And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Lord, would you cause a rejoicing to take place in our hearts as we understand the fullness of your gospel and the fullness of your love towards us and of your power to those who believe to both be a guarantee and a sense of assurance of our place with you and power to send us out into all the world, into our vocations, into our neighborhoods, and even to the uttermost parts of the world for your glory and for your name only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How does the Spirit empower our personal evangelism? Well, here's the first one we're going to look at, and it comes in verse 26 through 29. It's in the way the Spirit guides. So let's look again. Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. So first off, we're we're looking at it. There's an angel here. An angel shows up. The Bible's not afraid of angels showing up from time to time and speaking on behalf of God. So God approaches Philip, but mediated through an angel of the Lord, says to Philip, very specific guidance here. Rise, go towards the south to the road, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So it's not coming from the Ethiopian. It's not coming from Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip's not strategizing. God says to Philip, I want you to get up. You're up here in the north. I want you to go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And it says, and he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So first we're introduced to this Ethiopian eunuch that's in Gaza, which is a desert place. He's not Philip where he was. He was up north in Samaria, and now he's going south. And Gaza is the land of the Philistines. Gaza is like no man's land. Philip is already ministering among Gentile people, so he's already cross-culturally going into places where people don't want to go. Well, now he's going into enemy territory when he goes to Gaza, and it's a desert place. It's literally a desert place, but it's also spiritually a very desert and dry place. The gospel's not flourishing in this place of Gaza, on this, on this path. And it says, he rose and he went, and he sees an Ethiopian. Now, this is uh, from the kingdom of Nubia. It's way down around Egypt is where this guy is from. He is a eunuch, so he's kind of a proselyte God-fearer. This guy is, uh, you, know, you know, dads, go home and tell your kids what a eunuch is. A, a eunuch is somebody who's dedicated his life to God. So he could either just, it could just be just a heart of devotion, or he could actually be castrated in his devotion to God. I mean, that's people did that back then in their spiritual devotion to God. That's why the Bible is PG-13. So here he is. He is a eunuch and he's a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. So he's a man of high power and high spirituality. So he was revered in his spirituality. He was revered for his his status 
And he was a very wealthy person. Not only did he have a powerful place with the queen of the Ethiopians, uh, he's in charge of all her treasure. And he's so wealthy, verse 27 says, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. That's a five-month journey one way. This isn't, you know, a casual stroll, you know, down the road. This is a five-month pilgrimage this guy has been on to get to Jerusalem to worship. I mean, this guy is devoted. Talk about devotion. He is physically devoted. He is spiritually devoted. He is a seeker after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, having been introduced to him through the tradition of the Ethiopians from having heard about the fame of God years ago, back in Solomon's day, and now he is seeking after God. But he's an outsider. And we're supposed to recognize this right out of the gate. This is in Gaza, outsider in every single way. The, the closest he could get to God was the court of the Gentiles at the temple or perhaps the synagogue, which was their old school multi-site church. It was limited access. He was restricted from Jewish worship. Here's a guy that's an outsider in every sense of the term. He's an outsider geographically in no man's land where he is. He's an outsider ethnically because he's a Gentile. He's an outsider economically because he is wealthy. He is an outsider socially because he is powerfully. So what in the world is God doing in chapter 8 verse 26? Well, I think one thing that he is teaching Philip and he is teaching the whole church at this stage in the game is that God's mission is to all people. The kingdom of God is not limited ethnically anymore and not limited geographically anymore. The kingdom of God is going to go all over the world into every ethnicity and into every geographic place. And Jesus said it was so, but the people of God, as you and I know, are often reluctant to obey and step out in faith and actually do what God has said to do. Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. All the world. Jesus says, you know, my spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be sent out to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, how does that happen? Well, we don't naturally do that. The spirit actually fills us and then God actually sends us out. And we don't do this uh, without his help. We don't go to pagan Samaritans. We don't go to God-fearers from Africa. We would, we would never, uh, if we're having a tremendous ministry up north in Samaria, go south into a whole other place. But the kingdom of God is viral now, according to how Jesus set it up. Isaiah 35 says, For the waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in desert places. This is what's going to happen here with this Ethiopian eunuch. A stream of life is going to burst out of a desert place as the kingdom of God advances through the gospel. As people come to faith in Jesus and are united to Christ, they are in the kingdom. And so it doesn't matter what their race is. It doesn't matter where they live anymore. It just matters that they know Jesus relationally. Well, how should we think about this specific instruction, this like direct guidance? Is this how we should approach all of, of life? I had a Sunday school teacher one time that said, I want to be you know, so spiritual 
This wasn't a Sunday school teacher in this church, by the way. I want to be so spiritual that, like, God's going to just, you know, even to go get a drink of water, he's going to tell me, you know, either use my left hand or my right hand. He's going to tell me. He's going to be that specific with me. Should, should we think about God's guidance in, in that way? Well, does God give specific guidance? Well, I, I think he does. I mean, look, he does. God gives very specific guidance to Philip. Rise, go towards the south. Go right there to that specific road that goes down into Gaza. And then it says, in verse 29, the Spirit says to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Not that chariot over there. I want you to go and join this chariot. So we are to think that at times, God does give very specific instruction. He gives very specific Guidance, But I think that there's a little bit of a principle here that we should hold on to. It's that specific instruction that God gives sometimes often follows general obedience. What has Philip been doing in chapter 8 before he gets very specific guidance? We'll go back to chapter 8, verse 1, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. And so what's Philip's marching orders whenever they get scattered? Well, he just preaches the word, verse 4 says. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's what Philip's doing. He's going out everywhere that I'm scattered, I'm preaching the word. I've got marching orders. I don't need specific instruction about what to do. Wherever God sends me, there I am, and I am. And in the kingdom, and I have the gospel of Jesus, and I'm going to tell everybody and every soul about the love of God everywhere that I go. I'm going to tell people about God's love. I don't need God to specifically tell me to do that. I'm going to do that because I'm going to obey you generally. So as we obey God's word, oftentimes, isn't it true that we hear more specific instruction? We hear, as it were, his voice. Now, this is his voice. If you want to know, where's God's voice? Here's his voice right here. But he often, as we obey his word, he will give us some specific instruction at times. And we will hear his, his voice. It's, it's as we approach our, our vocations. Isn't this true? As unto the Lord, open to whatever you would have for me based on my gifts, based on my experience, based on what, um, what, I, what I'm good at. That the Lord gives us some specific instruction. Move towards that career. You, 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 do this. Move towards that. Go have that conversation. Apply there. We've, we've experienced this. People in our church, as, as they've moved towards caring for widows and orphans generally, just obeying what God says about that, that God then gives some specific instruction and he says, that one. Her. Him. Them. <laughs> It says we bear one another's burdens every day, unspectacularly, that God then says, pour into that person's heart. Disciple that person. It says we love our neighbors. We're just good neighbors to the people that live around us, that God says, practice hospitality to that family. Have them over. Have them over. Prepare dinner for them. Bring dinner to them. And it's as we ask the Lord to send workers into the harvest that God gives us very specific instruction individually and as a church to go to that nation. Go to that people group. 
invest there. See, sometimes I think we kind of sit in our car, (laughs) as it were, asking God to show us exactly where to turn, but the keys are in the pocket and we have no intention of ever turning the car on. Isn't that true? It's like we, we, we can just look out at our neighborhoods and just say, God, show me who you want me to reach out to. Just, just show me. If you show me, then, then I'll, I'll do it. But uh, I'm not hearing any voices. Uh, an angel of the Lord is not speaking directly to me. So I guess you don't want me to reach anybody in my neighborhood. So there's a completely different way of, of approaching God. Philip approaches God. I'm going to obey what you've said to do. I'm going to preach the gospel everywhere that you've sent me. I'm scattered. I didn't plan on going to Samaria, but here I am. I'm going to preach the gospel. God blesses that. And then he gives some very specific instructions. So sometimes we're like, God, I really want to hear your voice. But if we really want to hear his voice, we've got to really be obedient to what he has said to do. That's, that's I think, the principle here. You all know the, pro- the Chinese proverb, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I think the same is true of hearing God's voice. As we obey him in his word, he will speak to us and guide us and show us where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to be doing. Notice how else the spirit gives power in the way that he prepares. This is just fascinating to me. Look at verse 30. It says, so Philip... Hearing God's word and his voice to him, saying, go over and join this chariot. Philip's like, okay. He ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So this is just very interesting. This is very wealthy because he bought a scroll of Isaiah the prophet. And he's reading out loud. That's what you do in those days. You didn't read silently. And he's overhearing him read Isaiah the prophet. And so he does what, what you do for good personal evangelism. You just ask good questions. And this isn't a very insightful question. This is just a question. So he goes up to him. He goes and he's salt and light to the eunuch. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? In verse 31, he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I mean, I know this, this could be encouraging and discouraging at the same time. You're like, this has never happened to me. In all my years of trying to share the gospel, this has never happened where somebody uh, is, is it's so teed up for a perfect shot. I mean, this is like a, it's like a free throw almost. Philip runs over, hears him reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? He says, Unless you guide me, I won't know. So come on up and sit with me. More than that, look at verse 32. Look what he's reading. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. He just happens, you know, just happens to be reading Isaiah 53. He's on Isaiah 53. There's a lot of chapters in Isaiah. He's on Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch says to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? I mean, his questions could not be 
more specific. I mean, come on. Philip's got to get this one right. You know, like, you got to get this right. I mean, it's, it's how easy. He doesn't draw him out. He doesn't have to ask him, where are you from? And what's your spiritual background? And what do you think about religion or any of that stuff? He is just so ready to, to hear the, the truth and, uh, and God sets it up. So how are we supposed to think about, about the Ethiopian eunuch? Philip has done zero investing into the nation of Ethiopia. He has done absolutely nothing for this opportunity. This Ethiopian eunuch is just an opportunity that just fell literally into his lap. God just says, go over there, and this guy's like ready to hear the gospel of Jesus. So what should we think about this preparation that's taken place in this Ethiopian what should we think about his life? What should we think about his upbringing? What should we think about his background and his, his family situation, his hopes and his dreams, his family's hopes and his dreams and what he believed about God in the five-month journey to get to Jerusalem and how he had enough money to purchase this scroll and how he just happened to fall on Isaiah 53 when Philip was in geographic walking distance to him and how Philip just happens to come run up to him and overhear him and how the Ethiopian just happens to have enough humility to ask him questions like that. So how do you, how should we think about this? Well, I think we should think that before the announcement of the gospel takes place in the Ethiopian's life and before the announcement of the gospel takes place in our lives, God has been at work. God's been at work. God has been at work in the Ethiopian's family his whole life long. God was at work in the five-month journey. God was at work certainly in Philip's life, but in the Ethiopian's life for years. And that's true of us, too. We can recognize this sometimes when you grow up in a Christian home. You could see how God was at work. I was resistant. I didn't believe, but I had a lot of questions. And I was leaning forward, and I could see the gospel on display in my family or in my church or something like that. And we could see how God was drawing us in our, in our Christian home and in our Christian upbringing. But sometimes we don't see that God is doing this at work in the lives of unbelievers all around us. That he's, he's doing this in people all around us, in homes all over our block. You just scan your block and you just wonder, is God doing this there? Is he doing that behind those walls as well? Is he tapping people on shoulders? Is he wooing them? Is he speaking truth? Is he communicating grace and life and love to, to people? Is he doing some behind the scenes preparatory work among the nations and neighborhoods all around us outside of the church meeting? Outside of this meeting? Outside of our small group meeting? Is he actually at work? Think about your small group meeting. When the Church gathers in that living room, and God is uniquely present there, for sure. We're not minimizing that at all. But is He also at work in the living room across the street, the house right next door? Is He at work there? 
Is his presence there communicating his grace? Is he doing a preparatory work in lives around us? I, I believe that he is. He's doing it in the life of the Ethiopian. He's sowing his grace into the Ethiopian's life long before the Ethiopian ever hears the gospel. And we can look back and say, I can see God at work in my life. And sometimes we can forget that God is communicating grace everywhere. It should not surprise us. Romans 1 says Jesus is doing this everywhere and in every place. What can be known about God is plain. Why? Because God is showing it to people. God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So here's an Ethiopian eunuch who has limited knowledge of God, right? He's limited in his knowledge. He doesn't know that Jesus is the fullest representation of this love of God and he's the second person of the Trinity. He's unaware of, he has no idea who Jesus is or what Jesus has done specifically for him. He's thinking that this is about a prophet. Is he speaking about, is Isaiah speaking about himself or is he speaking about the nation of Israel or is he speaking about some coming Messiah? And Philip's like, he's not speaking about any of those things. He's speaking about Jesus. Jesus is the sheep that was led to slaughter. Jesus was the lamb before its share who was silent. Jesus is the one who opened not his mouth. Jesus is the one who in his humiliation justice was denied him. And who can describe this generation who rejected this Savior? So he has limited knowledge and he has limited access being a Gentile and only able to go to the court of the Gentiles or synagogue at best. But he is seeking God. He's seeking God. Now, God's at work there, but he's seeking him. And it's a journey for this guy. It's been a long time coming. It wasn't like he was a child and he came to faith in Jesus. It was he was in, far into his life and into his career where he is seeking after God. This is a castrated, devoted person who is on a five-month pilgrimage in his pursuit after God. Well, First Chronicles 28 says, The Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and every thought. So, David... Speaking to his son, Solomon says, note this about God. He knows our hearts. He knows every plan. He knows every thought. He knows what we're doing with the revelation that he provides abundantly to us. He knows what we do with that. And he says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. If you seek him, he will be found by you. God is not silent. He's pouring out mercy. He's pouring out grace. And as people who have limited knowledge of God, limited access to God, as they seek God, he will be found. God will see to it, I believe, that he, they will be found. And it's just amazing to think that outside of this church meeting right now, God is speaking to people all around us. In your office, God is speaking to people. At the hospital, God is speaking to people. In your neighborhood, God is speaking to people. In nations all over the world that have zero access to the gospel. Why? Because nobody's going. God is speaking to people. God has left those nations and neighborhoods with a witness as he is preparing their hearts. 
Well, look at verse 35. Not only does he prepare, he provides. Look at verse 35. There's a time to open up your mouth and Philip does it. There's a time to listen. And man, as Christians, we got to get better at listening <laughs> before we speak. Philip has listened. He's listened long enough. He's being asked questions. In verse 35, he opens his mouth. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture... That's Isaiah 53. He told him the good news about Jesus. So he starts with this scripture and he goes directly to the good news about Jesus. He talks about his person. He talks about his work. He talks about his glory. He talks about who Jesus is to the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So God is providing words and specific things for Philip to say. God is providing water in this moment, in this desert place for baptism. And the eunuch says, what prevents me from being baptized? It's a great question. And uh, the answer was nothing. He had faith in Jesus. He believed in his resurrection. He wanted to be forgiven of all his sins. So he says, Nothing's preventing you from acknowledging your faith towards Jesus and to be baptized. And so verse 38 says, And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. So the spirit of joy falls on the Ethiopian eunuch, the Spirit gives Philip a whole other ministry. I mean, he literally vanishes. I, I don't know what to do with this. This has never happened in my life. But verse 40 says, Philip found himself at Azotus. I mean, literally, the guy disappeared like Bilbo Baggins. The guy just disappears. I mean, you can get around that some way. Well, he was in such joy that Philip kind of snuck off and went his way. Ah, that's not what happened. God just picked him up and put him somewhere else. And he just goes about preaching the gospel. What, you know, he doesn't need any more instruction. Again, Philip's M.O. is, I'm just going to preach the gospel everywhere that I go. So whether I'm in Samaria or whether God picks me up and drops me, you know, into... You know, a road going to Gaza, or if he picks me up, he heads me off into Caesarea. I'm going to preach the gospel. We see Philip preaching the gospel 20 years from now, later on in the book of Acts, just preaching the gospel, playing churches, seeing things happen to the glory of God, not paralyzed waiting on God's specific instruction. God has given specific instruction. Um, so he is providing a thousand different ways. So this is what God does. But can we close this way? What is our responsibility? The sovereignty of God does not cancel out or vanish our human responsibility. So how should we think about what's our responsibility? What does this passage teach us? Let's close this way. Well, I think, first off, that this passage teaches us about being available to people. Being available to people. Look at verse 30. We know this is Philip's posture of being available to God. But note, what, how, note his attitude. 
When God says to Philip, go over and join this chariot, Philip doesn't ask a hundred questions or delay his response or, you know, overly question, is this God or is this something else? Is this just me? Was this just a burrito I ate last night? It says he ran. Verse 30 says Philip ran to him. He's just got a posture of, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I have no idea. I just feel this impression by God to go and I'm going to follow that through all the way. I'm going to close the loop on that deal and just run. I'm just going to run. <laughs> so Philip just ran to him. And then he says he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asks a question. This is, so, this is so helpful in personal evangelism. He just asks questions. You want to be a great evangelist? Just learn how to ask questions. Just ask questions. Ask a thousand questions. I, don't quit asking questions. At some point, that person is going to turn around and start asking you questions. You, you get to know what somebody believes, and they get to know what they believe by just good questions. And that's what Philip says. He's just available with questions. And so he says... Do you understand what you are reading? God didn't tell him to say that. He just hears Isaiah being read by the Ethiopian. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you know what you're, what you're reading? And then in verse 31, he says, how can I unless someone guides me? I just think this question needs to, um, we need to take note of, of the Ethiopian's question. Verse 31 says, I won't know, the Ethiopian says, unless someone guides me. Note his question. The Ethiopian has heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob his entire life. He spent five months on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for crying out loud, he's reading Isaiah 53 about a sheep being led to slaughter and a lamb before shear is silent. The revelation is there. Everything is there. But the Ethiopian knows what 2.8 billion people today know, that he won't know who God is in Jesus unless someone guides him. How can I? Unless someone guides me. I won't know. I don't know now. I don't know. A human being has got to guide me. A human being has got to come to my chariot and step up into my chariot and into my world. And you've got to guide me. You have got to guide me. I'm not going to know. I haven't known up until this point what makes me think I'm ever going to know unless somebody steps into my chariot and takes the responsibility and guides me and tells me who the sheep is and tells me who the lamb is and tells me who was denied justice and whose life was taken away from the earth in order to give me life. I'm not going to know. Paul is very clear about this. How can he know unless someone guides him? He won't know unless somebody guides him. He won't. 
Paul says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, which begs the Ethiopians question. How can they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The answer is they won't. They won't. They won't believe. They won't hear. They won't be saved. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So so this question is much bigger than just a a personal one-on-one question that the Ethiopian is asking God is speaking to the entire church, what he's later going to say through Paul in in Romans 10, that unless we go, unless we send, they will not hear. There's a responsibility. It doesn't minimize the sovereignty of God. It's a manifestation of the sovereignty of God that we passionately go, literally go, like you've been living in Frisco your whole life, but God's going to say, I want you to go to Zambia. (laughs) Unless we passionately go or passionately send, passionately send, seriously send people. Or the third option, anybody want to know what the third option is? Disobedient. I, I don't, based on the Ethiopian's question, I don't think there's any other way around it. Either we... We recognize our responsibility to guide people cross-culturally to understand who Jesus is and the one who died for them. Either we go ourselves or we send people passionately. And, and I'm talking about nations. I'm also talking about neighborhoods. You can cross salt water, but we also need to cross streets. So, But unless we do that, they're not going to hear. They're not going to know. And we'll be just disobedient and, and miss out on the blessing of seeing somebody come to faith in Christ. See, I think for the, for the Ethiopian, what he knew about who God was based on Philip's responsiveness to him and his availability is what Jesus taught in Matthew 16, that people are priceless, priceless. See, to Philip, the Ethiopian was worth the blood of the Son of God. Jesus says, you could gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. What shall a man gain or give in return for his soul? A a human soul is eternally priceless and worth the blood of the Son of God. And we're to have that, that perspective when we see people that we work with, family members that are lost, neighborhoods that don't know Jesus, places where there aren't churches, and certainly the billions of people who need a gospel witness in their village in the hidden places of the world. Last two, really quickly, uh, look at the faithfulness. I think this teaches us about being faithful to God. Verse 35 says, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Sometimes we get really hung up in our We're trying to share the gospel with not having all the right answers. Or what if he asks me or she asks me this specific question and I don't have an answer for that. Well, note the 
what Philip does. Philip doesn't get sidetracked in all the, the details of what the Ethiopian could ask. He starts where the Ethiopian is. The Ethiopian is there, and he makes the quickest beeline he can to the person of Jesus. <laughs> That's, that is exactly what we need to be doing with people. So don't worry so much about this person's lifestyle. Don't get hung up on that. Don't, don't catch everything that's dangling before you as far as divergent paths in the conversation. Start where the person is. Affirm truth that you can. Affirm where the person is. Love that person. And make a beeline and tell them about the good news of Jesus. And this does not have to be uh, trendy or cool. Philip is not cool. Philip is not trendy. Philip just tells people about Jesus, and, uh, and we should too. And he's just faithful. He just says, you're, you're wondering who the sheep is. I'm going to tell you exactly who he is. And so that's how we should be too. Not making Jesus into our image or making him somebody he's not. Just being faithful with telling people the good news of his death, his resurrection, and life eternal with him. And lastly is uh, we need to be not only available and faithful, we need to be humble. Humble. I've noted in verse 30, you can see that Philip ran. That's an expression of humility. Philip asks good questions. Actually, he doesn't even ask great questions. He just asks a question. <laughs> Do you understand what you're reading? I mean, that's a great question. What, what's your religion? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in resurrection? Do you believe that your sins can be forgiven? Do you believe you can have a relationship with God? Do you believe you're created in God's image? These are questions that people, if asked the right way, will open up and talk about. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you. Start where they are. If they're reading a book, start with a book. Say, what, tell me about that book. What do you think about that book? What do you think about the philosophy of that book? Don't talk about how you don't like the book or, or don't, make, don't make your eye twitch, you know, if it's Harry Potter or something. You don't like Harry Potter. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's not the point. Start where somebody is. By the way, I'm not dogging Harry Potter, by the way. Uh, I haven't read any of the books. Uh, but, you know, I mean, pick anything. So they're, they're, you know, they're talking about a movie at work or something. Like, ask them about the movie. Talk to them about their philosophy. Talk about, do, they, do you believe that? Ask good questions. And, uh, and then make a beeline and talk about Jesus. And so he, this takes humility. And so notice that he opens up his mouth when it's time and not before it's time. And also he's got the humility to go down into the water with the Ethiopian eunuch. I think this displays humility. Now, humility is not... Um, I'm not going to tell, I'm just going to be really super passive and not tell anybody about Jesus. Because I'm humble, man. I'm just super humble. You're not humble, you're proud. If you're not wanting to tell people about Jesus because you're afraid of what that's going to look like to you or uh, if that's going to make the conversation awkward or the relationship awkward or something like that, hey, I'm with you. I know how that feels. There's this book. It's a great book. It's an awful title. Uh, it's an awesome book. It's an off, awful title. And it's called Share Jesus Without Fear. If you have benefited from this book, awesome. I want everybody to read Share Jesus Without Fear. But I have never in my life shared Jesus without fear. 
Never. It has never happened. Can I just be a prophet for a moment? It's never going to happen for you. Never. If it, if it does, you come tell me. Okay? You can prove me wrong. It's never going to happen. I don't think it happened for Philip. I don't think he shared Jesus without fear. I think he shared Jesus without pride. I think he said, Okay, God. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if this Ethiopian is going to take his servant and just beat me and get out of here. I don't know what's going to happen. But he just shares Jesus without pride. That takes humility. It takes boldness. I mean, another way to define humility is boldness. It just takes boldness. So it takes us being available. It takes us being faithful. It takes us being humble. The scripture has something very specific to say about that. Those who sow sparingly on this, reap sparingly. That's just a principle. That's not a judgment. God's not going to judge anybody for sowing sparingly. But if you sow sparingly, guess what? You reap sparingly. The other half of the verse says, if you sow what? Abundantly, you reap what? Abundantly. So the question before us is, as a church, do we want to reap sparingly or do we want to reap abundantly? I, what is it? What do you think? Do you want to reap sparingly? Be honest. Abundant. I, I, think, I think we want to reap abundantly. So if we want to reap abundantly, then we've just got to be available and faithful and humble to sow abundantly. I think that's what happens with Philip. He's just scattering seed, man. Scatter, 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 scatter. And then he sees this dramatic moment take place with the... And then he goes back to scattering. And, and he, he didn't do anything with the Ethiopian and will experience the same thing. Sometimes we think, well, I've sowed into that thing, but, you know, God's, it, I haven't seen any reaping yet. Well, you never sow, you never reap in the same season that you sow. You never reap the same amount that you sow. There's just a principle of sowing and there's a principle of reaping and I'll close with Ajith Fernando who's a missionary and a theologian says this is faithful evangelism obedience ready to cross cultural lines sensitive to the hearts prepared by God starting with other person's questions rooted in scriptural teaching and having Jesus as the theme let's be this kind of people Amen? Let's, let's do this. Let, we can do this together. As we help each other. We can do this. Let's all stand and I'll close with prayer. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.